0: I feel like we're about to drop some mad beats, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) A couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a friend about a recent movie that had come out. When they asked me what I thought of it, I said, it's pretty good for a Christian movie. Most of us sense that Christian art isn't always what it should be, whether that's film or music or paintings. What often goes under the banner of Christian art is cliche, it's cheesy, it lacks nuance and complexity. And yet when we turn to scripture, we find that some of the first people to be filled with the spirit are the artists who build and furnish the tabernacle. So clearly God cares about beauty and there's something about it that bears witness to what is true and good. Today, Francis and I are sitting down with Susanna McCulley. Susanna's on staff at 20 Schemes in Edinburgh, Scotland, and she received her Bachelor's of Fine Art with an emphasis in painting and sculpture from Wayne State University. Together, we discuss how she ended up in Scotland, the power and importance of good art in the church, and the recent piece that she produced for our year-long series in the Gospel of John. On behalf of Francis and myself, this is The Stone Table.
0: Santa, I just want to say thanks for joining us for this podcast, and um, I kind of got to get to know you a little bit back in November when I went over mm-hmm. with the team to Scotland, um, mm-hmm. and you have this really fun Maj Paj accent. So, <laughs> how did you come to acquire that? Well,
2: um, I usually mark it up to having a Scottish husband and being musical, and so I pick up accents really quickly. And I always used to practice accents an English accent and an Irish accent and my whole life. And so coming over here, it just, just picked it up. It's completely different, but
0: here we are. (laughs) So do dreams do come true. You kind of, you hope for an accent and you actually got one. I know. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How did you end up in Scotland? What led you there? Well, a
2: few years ago, um my church started to support a ministry, a church, a gospel-centered church planting ministry in the poorest areas in Scotland. It's called 20 Schemes. And someone from 20 Schemes on the American side came to my church and talked about 20 Schemes. And I'm not an emotional person. Like, I don't usually make emotional decisions. And I'm not superstitious in any way. But I sat there and I just felt an immense call to go and I just couldn't stop sobbing and I had kids all around me and I just couldn't get myself under control and I was like I just I have to go I have to go I have to go I went and I spoke to the guy and I was like what can I do I'm really interested in going and I spoke to my parents and I was like just as a heads up guys I think I'm going to move to Scotland and my parents are like well you know sometimes God just wants you to say yes to serving sometimes it's not always going exactly where you think you were going to go and I was like okay you know I'll listen to that I just always had this internship thingy in the back of my mind, but it just wasn't good timing. I was in school. I didn't have much money. It was just nothing really was happening. And then one of the pastors at my church came up and said, we're going to take a mission trip over to Scotland. And anybody who's interested, come and speak to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I have to go. So we had these like communication cards and I scribbled in really quickly. Hey, in case I don't get a chance to speak to you, can I? would you please consider letting me come on this trip. I would really, really love to come. And I did. So um, I came over and we went to a scheme in Berlin. Previous to that, we were touring a little bit. And one of the guys who works for 20 schemes ended up as our tour guide. And we started to get to know each other. And then by the end of the trip, he had written me a letter telling me that he really liked me and he would like to pursue a relationship with me. And of course... I was a mess. And I thought that was really lovely. So we started long distance dating and we are now going to be married
0: a year on the 31st of this That's month. Awesome. And you guys so, are the cutest couple. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Also,
1: whenever, whenever I tell people about Lewis, one of the things I say is that he'll never forget his name because his hometown is also his name.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Lewis from That's Isle really
2: Lewis. Yeah. He just always opens up. Hello,
0: I'm Lewis from Lewis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great.
0: So prior to going to Scotland, have, did you ever have any international um, experience before doing mission, short-term or long-term? Or was that your first experience? The only experience I had was my
2: church had taken a mission team to a Native American reservation. They call them First Nation, first Nation Reservation up in Canada. And um, it's on the only unseated First Nation reservation in the world. So it means it's never been owned by anybody else. It's just only ever been owned by them. And so there is, um, there's a church up there, but it's a very dark place. Um, spiritually, there's, there's really only one church and the rest is spirit worship and stuff. And so um, but that was my, actually, no. That was my um, second experience. I had gone to Jamaica to do a Bible club when I was in my teens. So I guess I do have a little bit of experience, but nothing long-term, just little glimpses of stuff.
0: Was that your desire as you were pursuing ministry? Were you thinking that you wanted to do cross-cultural ministry long-term and live in another country? No, that was actually never.
2: I never considered that. My parents asked me when I was a kid, you know, like all of us who here would like to be a missionary to another country? What country would you like to go to? And I just never really had that in mind, but I also never wrote it off. And so my desire all through high school and university was to serve in inner city missions. And I wanted to do it full time. And I, that's pretty much all I wanted. Mm. And, you know, and then my art as a way to support myself and to use it for the church and for God in some way. that was pretty much it. And then Scotland came along and and I went.
1: (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about your pursuit of art. You you mentioned that one of the things that was going on when you first started thinking about Scotland was that you were at university and you'd mentioned that you were studying art when I got to know you and Lewis back in the fall. So what led you to study that in the first place? What was something that drew? Um,
2: My parents actually were very influential in this decision. Um, I'm very thankful because I, along with a few of my, other, my family members, was quite artistic. Um, and I was always drawing, always, always, always drawing. And so my mom was always encouraging me to have a way to make money in the home. That's mm-hmm. what she had. She gives piano and voice lessons, and it's a great source of extra income. It's always been such a gift to her. And so she just always encouraged me to find a way to do that. And she saw that I was talented in art, and she really pushed me to pursue it. She's like, you're it's the thing that you're absolutely the best at. Even when I would pursue other things, yeah, she should be supportive, but she'd be like, you're really best at art, <laughs> Susanna. That's actually how I ended up in in that field.
1: That's really interesting because I, I feel like there's almost the cliche of high school student who wants to pursue art and the parents are like, you'll never make any money doing this. I and know. You pursue a real career. So the opposite yeah. for you. Then.
2: Yeah, it is. And you know what? I am just so thankful. I went into art knowing you know that it was the thing i was best at but also knowing that like i really think this is what god wants me to do and i don't know exactly what i'm going to do with it but i'm going to pursue it to the best of my ability and see what happens and it's really cool because every time i would tell somebody while i was in college i'm doing art they'd like you know give me the typical so what are you gonna do with that are
1: you gonna make any money <laughs>
2: and um and you know i tell them and try to be as positive as possible. And now God has provided so many ways for me to make money. And it's just, it's very cool because it just doesn't happen for everyone. And um, I'm, I'm just really thankful.
1: One of the things I feel like we talk about in the office all the time, and it's not like a constant conversation, but it comes up is just how bad most Christian art is. And I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and we were talking about a film that I'd seen and, she asked me, how was it? And I said, it was good for a Christian movie. And I feel like that modifier <laughs> is on yeah. every every bit of art that's mm-hmm. produced with Christian intentions. Mm-hmm. If I remember right, you didn't go to a private school. You, you went no. to a public university. So you're just studying mm-hmm. art in
2: yeah.
1: an institution. Yeah. Why do you think Christian art has such a bad rap and that we kind of all feel like it's not what it should be?
2: Well, I think it's not held to everyone's standards. It's only held to Christian standards, and the best is only what's been produced so far. You know, like it's not going to be critiqued at the level of everything else. Hmm. It's going to be critiqued for, by Christians, for, you know. So what I'm saying is, like, in if you were to put everything on a level playing field, say in the art world, right, with a painting, you come to it, you critique it. How does it match up? How does it compare? How does it fall short? What is it saying? Does what you wanted to say actually come out in a piece? And I don't really see that happening with Christian art. I just think that especially in Christian art, people don't critique stuff. They just accept it. Yeah. You can't do stuff like that. You know, you can't just say, oh, wow, you made something Christian. It must be good.
1: (laughs) That's not how
2: it works.
1: (laughs) Right. David O. Taylor is a guy in the States who's doing a lot of really good work about the intersection of faith and art. Mm-hmm. And there was an essay that was in this book he compiled. And the person writing the essay mentioned that when somebody comes to us in the church with something that they're trying to do for God, we want to encourage them in that. And sometimes mm-hmm. we encourage them even when they're bad at it. And so mm-hmm. Johnny and Susie wrote this song that they want to play on Sunday, even if the song is terrible and the words aren't very good, but because they're doing it for Jesus, we need to kind of tell them, oh, this is, this is pretty good. So it's almost Mm. like the intentions sanctify bad art. If you have good intentions behind it, is that kind of what you're getting at?
2: I would argue against that. Yeah. Very much. So do you know beautiful eulogy? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For everybody who doesn't know them, they're a Christian rap band that I don't think is together anymore. um, And uh, there's this one song, and in the song, they quote, poor art can do incalculable harm. Mm. And I really hold to that, because music, if we sing bad songs, that influences our theology. Our songs, they are teaching us. So we shouldn't be singing bad songs, and we shouldn't be listening to bad Christian songs, because it influences our theology. Images, images influence what we believe. And so... If we're going to look at art, the thing is with art, we have a conversation with it. We interact with it. How, you know, What do I think? How does this make me respond? But at the same time with Christian art, if we make a statement that is incorrect, that is on us. And we have to take the responsibility for that because we have now placed that before an audience and said, I believe this to be true. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that we should be encouraging such playing around with things like this. Now we should be allowing people to have opportunities to learn and then teaching them how to be better, you know, what's good, what can be improved. You know, there should be a vetting process. Like, so there's this guy with 20 schemes called Solfen, and he's doing something with 20 schemes music. And he has asked people at the different church plants and indigenous workers you know people who got saved in the schemes and are being discipled you know some of the workers in the church and etc to write music because you know it's telling their personal story well he's asked some to write congregational stuff and some people more their um their testimony in music but what's really cool about what he does is that it all goes through a process and i don't know all the details but knowing him and knowing the way things happen, I'm sure that they sit down and they work through things and there's a conversation. It doesn't, things don't, don't just go, you wrote a song. Okay. We have to sing it. And so, you know, just uh, the same thing happens when there are guys who are being trained up to teach. If they write a sermon, they have to walk through it with the pastors and the elders and things. And um, it's critiqued. And they say what they did well, what they can do better. And then they get to preach the sermon at the scheduled time, et cetera. So, yeah, I really believe that's important with anything that we put in the public with authority.
1: Mm. To go through that sort of process of being filtered and thought through.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, even with my art, like, you know, I might think something's a good idea, but I'm a sinner. (laughs) And I'm wrong sometimes. So, like, you know, I always like to search my husband to my christian friends see what they think see if you know i like to talk through the idea in fact the painting that i ended up doing for you guys i got the main idea from the pastor's wife because i was talking to her about it you know that so that is something that i think is extremely important in my creative process and should be in other christians processes having a conversation with people because that's that's what we do as christians we don't do it in solidarity we do it together
1: i think that's That's really important that the Christian life is communal. I think doing Christian theology is communal. And in a lot of ways, Christian art should mirror the Christian life.
2: Yeah, there's no reason that the rules should change.
1: Absolutely.
0: interesting how when you're talking about your process for creating a piece of art you were talking about how you gain input from others but I guess as a person who is not an artist my outside perspective has always been that artists have their own emotions and whatever they're feeling they put it on a canvas or in a song and however they feel is how they represent it and there is no outside perspective that generally goes into that and you just take it as it is but you're saying kind of the opposite. And I was wondering if you were assuming because you are a Christian, so it does change the way that you approach art. Yeah,
2: it absolutely does. So my
0: experience
2: with artists is, I mean, there is sort of a conversation that happens and there's, um, you know, people will ask you, how are you interacting with this piece? What are you seeing? And if it's completely different than the artists have intended, they might consider reshaping a piece so that it shows their intentions a little bit more. But as a Christian, my frustration with current art is it's so dark because it's a reflection of the person's thoughts and feelings and their take on the world. And since man is inherently sinful and um, secular art is from a completely depraved mind, it just ends up extremely dark. And, And I have a real issue with Christians following the same process. So my thoughts and my emotions are not to be elevated and to be looked at and to be influencing other people. I, without Christ, am depraved. It's only through Christ in me that I have any good in me. And so that's what I want people to see. I don't, I don't want them to know anything about my emotional state unless it has to do with how Christ has saved me. And so when I come to a peace, I want it to be about something. And I want other people's perspectives because mine, if I went alone, I am flawed. And so, you know, it's just like when you write a book, you don't write it all by yourself and then publish it. You ask other people, you have conversations, it, it grows, it changes through conversations. You get a better perspective, a better understanding. And, you know, I think because I'm not a brilliant artist, it's easier for me to do this my ideas all by themselves are they're all right but when other people influence it it becomes this bigger greater thing that uh, more people can interact with more people can grow from learn from and you know people you know non artists they have such interesting insights they have life experiences that i haven't experienced they have different ways of looking at it and all of these things influence each of my pieces so much my art without other people it just it wouldn't i don't think it'd be that
1: great can i ask To get your take on something that I I guess I've been thinking through, Mm -hmm. one one of the things that that we've talked about is that a lot lot of times art is something that is interpreted. And so one of the conversations that sounds like you have with people as you're producing a piece is whether your intentions are rightly being interpreted. Is this conveying Mm -hmm. what you wanted it to convey? Yeah. One of the things I feel like makes most Christian art so bad is that Never leaves room for interpretation, yeah. unless somebody come away with the wrong interpretation. Yeah, and so I think about a film like Silence. I don't know if you've seen Silence or not. Mm-mm. It is it, to me, it's it's a phenomenal film, but the end is really ambiguous. There, there's a question about, and I, I don't want to ruin the end of Silence for anybody listening to this, but but there's a question about the spiritual state of the protagonist, whether mm-hmm. they've whether, whether they've triumphed or they've they've fallen into apostasy. You don't really know at the end. And I think that's mm-hmm. actually what makes it so powerful is that, mm-hmm. is that it's open for interpretation. But then you you come to another Christian film and I pick on this movie all the time. I've never seen God's Not Dead, but <laughs> I, I pick on it constantly because mm-hmm. at the end, there's no question. Everybody gets converted. Everybody believes the gospel. Yep. And everything ends neat and tidy. And so I guess mm-hmm. I wonder, what's what's the balance between conveying truth in art Mm -hmm. but also not over explaining things so that you don't end up with
2: that challenge well that is the question that plagued me through all four years of my university education (laughs) and i still don't have it completely figured out but i can tell you some of the things i did learn throughout me making art i had some really great professors who really challenged me Um, one of them adrian hatfield he would always say to me this looks like a political illustration it's not art, try again. Mm-hmm. And and he, would, he wouldn't he necessarily say, try again, but he would say, you know, why don't you look at this artist? Why don't you see how they did these things? You know, and so, um, and another artist friend, um, she shared that good art mm-hmm. has multiple entry points. So, you know, you can't just look at it. Like with a political cartoon, there's one thing it's saying, and there's one thing you leave it with. It's usually a joke, blah, blah, blah. But with good art, there are multiple points Points at which you can enter the piece, and multiple things that you can think about. And the very, very, very difficult thing about being a Christian and making a piece is I don't want people to get the wrong impression. Hmm. I don't want to misinfluence people. But the problem is when you're making a vis- visual piece, there's nobody there to explain it, there's nobody there to. You know, you've got the title bit, but that's it. And you just can't control what people take from it. So one of the conclusions I've come to is a difficulty of making a Christian piece is how do I accomplish that? Hmm. And the conclusion I've reached is to paint about stuff rather than to paint a truth. So if I were to paint a truth, it would be a political cartoon. But if I were to paint about something, you can... Conclude certain things. You can leave hints. You can make statements, but you're not creating a conclusion. You know, you're kind of like making a story. So if you tell a story without a conclusion, that's fine. If you tell a story with an ending, boring. It's nothing. So, you know, I'm just thinking just now. Um, you know, with the Renaissance these artists who did Christian paintings, which for the record, most of them were done by non-Christians. Um, so, you know, we can't really look to them as good examples of Christian art because they're not Christian. Michelangelo was not a Christian. So, you know, Leonardo da Vinci was not a Christian. Raphael, none of these guys. But if you, if you look at their paintings, they're painting something that happened, but they're not painting this is what it means to be sanctified. Right. You know? So you can paint the process of sanctification, but you can't paint The truth of sanctification.
1: I think that's helpful, and and certainly it's a big question that I don't have an answer to, which is why I'm asking it. Mm -hmm. It's it's helpful to just hear even how you think through that as somebody involved in the arts. Let's talk about the piece that you produced for our John series. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we had a few conversations over email just when I asked Mm -hmm. you a couple months ago to help us out with that, and you asked me a few questions about what what we were trying to convey as we walked through the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what the process for you was like of producing that piece.
2: It, it was, it was a strange process this time. There were multiple ways I wanted to go about it, but I really wasn't sure what to do. And so I did what I normally do. And I had conversations with people. And so I ended up talking to Ms. McConnell, not Mez, Sorry, Miriam McConnell, Mez's wife, you know, cause she, her husband has a great knowledge of scripture. She has a great knowledge of scripture way more than I do. And I was like, how would you sum up the book? I think that's what I asked her. And she said, kind of as a joke, kind of being serious, why don't you paint a candle in a clock? And I was like, huh, okay, you know, maybe I can do something with that. And I sat on it. And I said, she could, and because she was talking about how Jesus is the light of the world and how time had come, Jesus' time had come, and the time was running out for the people. So I decided to go with the candle analogy. And so I just sketched out a few drawings. Originally, I wanted to put the sheep in a thicket to show how they were caught just, you know, with Jesus being the shepherd, he goes after sheep, they get caught, they get lost. And I showed my sketches to my husband, who's actually such a good help to me when it comes to art stuff. I didn't know this when I married him. Um, (laughs) But he's, he's just so good at Helping me, and he told me to just take away the thistles. I didn't need them, and he's actually the reason it's just a, a monochromatic painting. Normally, I would have color in it, but I started it as um, just with the black and white. And he said, "I don't think you should add any color. I think it's good how it is." So yeah, I just went with this this theme, and I, it just kind of evolved because I knew what I wanted to include, and it was just a, a question of how am I going to do it. So basically, I wanted to show how Jesus is the light of the world and how we are the lost sheep and the light has come to us. And the world did not understand the light, but Jesus has still overcome the world. So, you know, that's why you see half of his in darkness, half of his in light. That's why you see the rings of light exuding onto the sheep. Some are still in darkness. Some are slightly illuminated. The sheep are turned away from the light. They're really not interested in what they're seeing. Yet the light has come. And it is going to win. And the time has come. The time is running out. They need to make a decision. Jesus is here. So now the difficult thing for me was originally I was thinking I was expressing Jesus in the painting. And then I was convicted because I believe that that is directly against the second commandment Mm. because how in the world am I a human going to show in a Physical manifestation, both Jesus' human nature and nature as God. And so going back to bad art can do incalculable harm. If I'm going to represent Jesus, I'm going to misrepresent him. Right. There's no way for me to properly represent him. So I backed off from that. And that's why when I messaged you, I emailed you, I said, the light is not Jesus. It is the light of Jesus in the world. It's the truth, it's the gospel in the world, but it is not Jesus. Right. So now somebody could come to it and come to the wrong conclusion. And, you know, that is something that I kind of, I'm like, oh, did I do it wrong? I don't know. I think it's okay. But yeah, that's basically what the painting is about.
1: I think that's really helpful. Francis. do you have anything you want to?
0: No, it makes me want to go look at it again. (laughs) Now that I've heard all the details. (laughs) I've got it in front of me.
1: (laughs) I think that's what's so helpful about having a conversation like this. Because I've had to have I've I've been able to talk to you about your process a little bit over email as you mm-hmm. you emailed me about whether we wanted to go full color or keep it monochromatic, and you emailed me a little bit of an explanation, which mm-hmm. caused me, like Francis, to go back and look at it again and mm-hmm. say, oh my gosh, there's so much that I missed in this, and yet, like you said, you you put a painting up in a gallery or in our case on a screen in the loft, and mm-hmm. people come away with what they come away with. And mm-hmm. there's something like that that's helpful because I think art is communal and participatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's something about that that's also detrimental because there's so much in that image that I don't think we would have seen unless we were able to talk with you about it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and having this conversation with us. Can I just ask, as we wrap up, is there any encouragement you would give? Maybe we've got some students in our ministry who are thinking about pursuing art as a career mm-hmm. and they're wrestling with that tension of what they believe about the gospel and what that means for their vocation as an artist,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. how would you encourage them to think through something like that?
2: Well, it's a really tough question. I think the most important thing they can do is talk to people and ask them to honestly critique their work. One of the saddest things I saw at art college was people who are bad artists spending thousands of dollars pursuing a career that, they clearly weren't going to make money doing. Hmm. That was really hard to watch. You know, so I encourage, I would encourage people to really say, do you really think I'm good? Or is it just me that thinks I'm good? Talk to people who know what they're talking about. And talk to people who don't know what they're talking about. And Really, you know, have lots of conversations, be okay with people very brutally and honestly critiquing your work. And also um, just make art. You know, if you like art, make it. Mm. Get better at it. Because the thing is, the harder you work, the better you'll get at it. There's that saying that hard work trumps talent every time. You know, I know people who are way more talented than me um, and who aren't doing anything with it. Mm. And so I will end up being more successful with them than them. Um, there are also other people who are way more talented than me who are working really hard at it and are just getting better. So, the, you know, and i another guy. Um, he started college. He wasn't that good. He's finishing college and he's a lot better than when he started and is actually making really interesting stuff. He's not pursuing what he originally thought he was going to be doing, but he's going to be doing with his stuff, with the stuff he he learned. So, you know, it's just kind of a question of, you know, how am I going to make this work? If they even don't pursue it as a primary uh, career, that's fine. Keep making art. Some people don't really get into it until their 40s, but... They still made art along the way. And, you know, so just because you don't think you're going to make any money doing it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if you make $10 in a year, you make $10, you know what I mean? So, and you learn and it's, yeah.
1: The Lord knows we need people to serve the church by uh, bearing witness to the truth in art. Mm-hmm. So we could always use more Christian artists that take that vocation seriously. Yeah. Thank you for helping us out in thinking through this. So glad to have you yeah. on. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource from the College of Career Ministry of Baylife Church. Our goal is to equip our community to follow Christ faithfully and think carefully about the harder issues in the Christian faith. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. For College of Career Ministry, I'm Corey, and this is The Stone Table. question do you like iron brew though
2: i like the old iron brew
1: Um, yeah the new one's not as good no
2: it just it's gross now yeah so i don't know why they changed the recipe like okay you have to pay more for sugar but they properly changed the recipe so i don't get it
1: yeah francis loves iron brew
0: that is a lie from the pit of hell
1: i'm the only person